We as a church have been in Romans chapter 6 to 8 over the last few weeks. And next week, we are finishing that series with a final bit in Romans 8 and a great kind of punch the sky moment. Um, And it's been a brilliant few chapters. It's fascinating, this book of Romans, because you can spend the whole of your life looking at it and still discover new things. And yet it also contains really simple Christian truths within it. We admitted to our small group that me and Richard quite like what we call the Kevin Bible, the Kev. It's a contemporary English version. We love this Bible because it's written for eight-year-olds, but it's still a great faithful translation. And it's really helped us because some of the sentences that Paul writes with are hugely long and quite complex. So I encourage you just to have a look at that if you've been struggling at all. If you keep the passage open, let's pray, and we're going to dive into this together this morning. Father, thank you for your incredible word. God, thank you for this incredible time and space we have right now just to be with you. Would you grace us with your Holy Spirit that we might understand your word and that we might allow it to transform our hearts and our minds this morning, that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ for your glory. Amen. So a quick um, recap of where we've been in Romans. The book of Romans is um, Paul writes it. He was an apostle, and he was a church planter, and he um, writes to the Christians in Rome. And he starts off in chapters kind of one and two, sort of just declaring what an awful state the world is in, really. It's been kind of messed up by sin and all the bad stuff. And that's affected people, but it's also affected creation. He moves on through Romans to talk about how we can actually be saved from this through what Jesus has done for us. And when we get to chapter 6, we find that the believers are a bit like newly freed slaves coming out of Egypt. They've been set free from sin and the things of the past. In chapter 7, where we've been, we've seen that people who live without God, though, end up sort of trying to do good by following rules and regulations, but they get nowhere fast doing that. And then we get to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is like this massive celebration. Because it's like, but you know what? You can overcome sin. You can overcome your struggles. You can overcome everything because of what Jesus done and through the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. And Paul's like really, really excited in this chapter. And he's sharing all the amazing things we have as Christians. That we are God's children. That God is our father. That we get to inherit everything that Jesus has. That we know where we're headed for. We've got hope for the future. And it's this like really exciting passage. Slightly unfortunately today, we've, we've got verses 17 to 30 of this passage. And I don't know as it was read out whether it felt very exciting or not to you. Um, But actually you'll notice if we look now at verses 17 to 30, it's a little bit like the small print at the bottom of a fantastic guarantee. Okay? And um, we're going to look at that a little bit closely. And we're going to look at it in by sort of way, two ways of getting through this passage. We're going to look first at groaning 
And then we're going to look at glory. So today, groaning and glory. I'm quite good at groaning. If I'm sick and I've got a cold, I want everyone close to me to feel my pain. No stiffer upper lip for me. There's just pure drama and sympathy seeking. So I was quite pleased when I looked at this um, passage to discover that the Holy Spirit is indeed very good at groaning. When I looked a bit more closely, obviously I realized that um, his groaning's rather different from my normal groaning, but we'll, we'll get into that. If you have a look at those verses 17 to 30 before you, can you spot how many times the word suffering comes up? Frustration and groaning. Just have a look at that, because it comes up an awful lot for a chapter that's focused essentially on celebrating what we have in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's interesting. It starts in verse 17, where I said verse 17 is a bit like a small print you get at the end of a great guarantee. We've been told the incredible news that God is our Father, that we are children of God, and that the Holy Spirit affirms that to us. And now we hear this very important bit, that yes, that's true, but it doesn't mean we're exempt from suffering. In fact, being a Christian will at times invite further suffering and a whole lot of groaning. So relax if you find yourself in a season of groaning. It's what we do with our groaning always that's the key. You see, the Bible never says that becoming a Christian will make your life carefree, that you'll walk around happy and smiley all the time. The Bible never says that. Sometimes we like to say it, but the Bible never says it. It actually invites us into a walk with our Lord Jesus Christ that's going to end in glory, but that's going to go through groaning. And when you think of Jesus uh, and Jesus' life on this earth, and you begin kind of really contemplating it, it's always quite striking that the suffering Jesus experienced was so all-encompassing. He was a refugee, he was a bastard, he was an outcast, he was a pauper, and the list goes on and on and on. Jesus experienced the depths of human suffering in many varied ways. And then, of course, we get to the cross and we see Jesus experiencing agonizing physical suffering. And so within Jesus, as we look at him walking around on the earth, we find a man who must have experienced delirious delight in his relationship with God. After all, his relationship with God was perfect, right? He was a man filled with joy. He was a magnet. People wanted to be near this Jesus guy. He had this amazing relationship with the Father God. But we also discover a man who walked with, if you like, a constant 
homesickness. You see, even when things were fun with Jesus, and, you know, he was staying up late chatting to the disciples around the fire, and he was having a great time in those parties, even in those beautiful moments, he too experienced a longing for home. A longing to be fully with his father. He longs for people to get the story of the Good Samaritan, and he's longing for us all to be like the Good Samaritan. He's deeply troubled in his heart when his friend Lazarus dies because death is not of the kingdom of God and it's just upsetting. And he's homesick to be with his father so closely and to see his father's rule and reign thoroughly recognized on the earth. And sometimes I think as Christians, we get a little taste of that homesickness. We can experience perhaps sort of loneliness or just feeling overwhelmed with life that can come at us out of the blue. It can come at us even when we're surrounded by loving people. Because, you see, all humanity left the garden. But all humanity were meant to return. And as a Christian, you can feel homesick for home with the Father. And being a child of God doesn't make us immune to different kinds of suffering in the world. And it doesn't make us immune to experiencing that heartbreaking homesick feeling that Jesus felt from time to time when he walked this earth too. But be patient, for the love of God is so strong that even when we're far from home, there is a God who sees. A God who sees where we are. A God whose love is stronger than any other power or force coming at us. There's a God who sees us and a God who's with us in all of this and who sighs with us through it. And so today I want to invite you into the Christian discipline of groaning. The nine o'clockers were quite excited about this. Apparently you moan more the older you get. Apparently, just saying, it's a statistic. You know, you can shoot me afterwards, but it's statistics. Apparently you moan more. The they were quite excited about this. But I want to invite you into the ministry, the discipline of groaning. Okay? See, groaning's not bad. It's always what you do with it that's significant. Okay? Um, so please would you speak to me. Maybe speak to yourself and maybe speak to Christian friends around you um, this week and in the future. But have a good old groan. Have a good old groan. But take it and pray it. Can you pray your groan? I don't know what your groan is this morning. What's your groan inside of you? Maybe it's, oh Lord, I just feel so lonely today. 
Or maybe your groan is, God, I'm heartbroken at seeing the war that's going on at the moment. What's your groan today? God, I'm just, uh, every time I open the paper, there's another story of abuse, and that's just, uh, it's not right, Lord. What's your groan? What's the groan in you? And turn it to prayer. Declare to the Lord, this is not the way of your kingdom. In your kingdom, there's no loneliness, there's no sickness, there's no war, there's no boredom, there's no abuse. These things don't exist. Lord, would you help me to hold on to you in hope through this pain and to keep seeking your kingdom? Show me, Lord Jesus, what to do with this groan inside me and help me to live, verses 26 to 27 of this passage. Help me to exercise the Christian discipline of groaning where you groan before the Lord and the Holy Spirit groans within you, interceding before the Father. A lady at the nine o'clock came up to me and she said, I get that, I do that sometimes. And then like, I start speaking in tongues, which is a special language the Lord can give in prayer for us. And, and it just all comes out really fast. And then when I finished, I just sense the Lord's peace come over me. She's groaning in her spirit for things in prayer and then experiencing as she leaves that groan with the Lord his precious peace it's a Christian discipline to groan and to stand in the gap so now to glory because just as groaning appears in our verses today note also the great words of expectation of hope and of glory that are scattered throughout the passage of us being glorified you see as christians we can be utterly confident that suffering that sighing that groaning are not the last word it's not where the story finishes you see the bible's the greatest story It's where all other stories really get their true narrative from. And all great stories have that wrestle, that tussle with evil, and things seem like they're just at their worst, and then suddenly, bam, something happens, and light dawns, and the new day comes, and the power of darkness and evil is broken. Get any classic story in history, and it's this story. It's this narrative, because it's what we're longing for. It's what we hope for. It's actually the story that God has written into our hearts, into creation itself. We are groaning and hoping for the day coming of glory. And verse 21 says, do you know what, guys? You get some of that now. You've been brought into glorious freedom because you are children of God and you're eagerly awaiting for all God's going to do. For God's love is strong and it won't let go of you. The glory of God is where things are headed, where every knee will bow before God, where everything in creation and everything in our hearts will be exploding with joy, where frustration will completely cease. Um, A great missionary in Africa, David Livingstone, said this. He said, anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger. Now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. 
But let this be for only a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. And this is what Paul's saying. Verse 17, you're going to share in Christ's suffering. Verse 18, any of that present suffering cannot be compared to the glory that's coming. Hold on in there in hope. As I was um, looking at this sermon and trying to work out uh, what I was going to kind of land in and how to, to form it, I came across something that uh, N.T. Wright wrote, actually, at a funeral sermon on verse 30, which I found immensely helpful. In verse 30, it talks about God justifying us and also glorifying us, that we're raised up. And um, N.T. Wright draws out the story of Jesus' recommissioning of Peter on the beach. So do you remember Peter's denied Jesus like three times? And um, Jesus meets him after his resurrection on the beach. Very familiar setting for them. And he says to Peter, do you love me, Peter? And he asks Peter three times. And Peter kind of mumbles this kind of, yes, kind of, I try to, yes, I do love you, Lord, kind of answer. Now, at that moment, you might expect Jesus to put a shoulder on Peter. It's all right, my son. I know this has been a pretty tough journey, watching me be taken off and captured. I forgive you. Now, Jesus does forgive Peter, But do you realize he doesn't actually say that to Peter at all? He doesn't tell him that. Do you know what he says to him? All right, Peter, feed my sheep. Oh, and by the way, get ready for the cross too. It's an interesting moment because he justifies Peter and glorifies him. By what? By allowing him to share in his suffering. By allowing his Christ nature to be formed within Peter. You see, we're not forgiven because of any great works you and I do. We don't manage to get Um, brownie points and then we like earn God's favor over us no we're forgiven um, by God's lavish grace upon us and we're forgiven in order not to sit back and do nothing we're forgiven in order to be glorified we're forgiven in order to do great things in order to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, right now, um, this week, that doesn't mean that we're to put loads of pressure on ourselves to become sort of workaholic messiahs, because there's plenty of Christians that go there. They, they burn out. They tend not to be particularly effective for the gospel, because everyone goes, oh, my goodness, that just looks like really hard work and not appealing at all. Um, so we're not meant to do that in response. But we are meant to make ourselves available to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. We're to seek God's strength to serve as Jesus did 
and in doing so to be transformed into his likeness. We actually share in the present, in the now, in Christ's rule by sharing in his homesickness longing, standing in the gap for our world and praying with groans. And these things themselves are actually part of the glory. So this week, right now in the present, being glorified looks like verse 26 and 27. It looks like groaning alongside the Holy Spirit. In the future... It looks like Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, where we get to sit alongside Jesus on his throne, where we get to be with him forever in eternity in utter perfection. And we contain and hold this great hope within us as the passage invites us to do. But it needs us to know that there's a future glory coming. And in the present, the glory gets realized as you and I groan with the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, the likeness of Jesus Christ gets formed in us. It's incredible. Groaning through to glory. You know that thing where you're learning to ride a bike? And it's quite hard. You might fall off. You might feel scared. You might get the odd cut. You might get the odd bump. There might have been the time you went too fast down the hill and you went over the handlebars. And there's some groaning involved in it. And it goes through, though, to a place of glory, that freedom when you can just sort of feel the wind flying through your hair and you're free. You go through the groaning to glory. And that's what this passage is about. It's an important small print to the Christian faith. Because there are moments where we feel homesick when we live on this earth. And we're invited to groan in prayer. But hold on to hope, because it's not the last word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we only feel a bit homesick because actually we've had the privilege of meeting with you, of knowing your great love, of having a taste of how things ought to be in your kingdom. And we groan and feel homesick because when we look at this world and sometimes at our own lives, we see suffering, we see things that's not right. Lord, would you help us to groan, groaning prayers? as part of our Christian discipline, to invite your Holy Spirit to groan within us and to stand in the gap for this world that needs so desperately your help. And would you gift us today too with your Holy Spirit, with renewed hope, with fresh hope, with deep hope of all that is to come. And of the immense privilege it is to have your son, Jesus Christ, be formed in us. Minister to us today, Lord, we pray, as we take communion and as we continue in worship now. Amen.